Welcome to the Cooking for Chemo podcast. I'm your host, Chef Ryan Callahan. And I'm the producer, Jesse Callahan. And the purpose of this podcast is to tackle the eating-related side effects of chemotherapy and discuss the practical real-world solutions to make your food taste great again. You know, you've done that 11 times now. And I'm going to do it 11 more. At least. <laughs> At least. And every time you say it, I'm like, wow, we got a really cool podcast. It's really well, so like what we do sounds really good. You know, like it sounds really neat and really interesting. Well, see, I, I it's a mouthful and I like to do, I, I like to do what's called the one take wonder. So I like to read it all in one mm -hmm. reading instead of having to go back and reread it. And it's a mouthful and I'm always nervous. I'm going to mess it up. But so far, so good. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you have all that radio experience to pull from. So in this episode, Chef Ryan, you are going to give us tips on how to regain our appetite. Oh, but I want to go to lunch. Well, you can regain your appetite after <laughs> <laughs> we do this podcast. I don't want to do any more work. Stop making me do work. Let's go eat lunch. I'll tell you what. They'll figure it out. We'll go eat, and they'll figure it out on their own. How's that sound? Loss of appetite. Let's... Let's proceed. Ladies and gentlemen, there he was. Chef Ryan shut down on national podcasting. <laughs> Don't make me get the whip. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about today loss of appetite. So loss of appetite. That is, it seems like such a complicated, convoluted, like way over the top, like problem. Like it is literally. It seems overwhelming. It is. It's so overwhelming. I mean, just like, where the idea start? of. Just not even, you know you need to eat, right? We gotta avoid cachexia, we wanna avoid starvation, we want to eat, we gotta eat. I mean, you gotta heal. You have to eat. There's no option in eating. And what we do is we sit here and we make these things out to be worse in our heads than they really are, right? We get worked up, we get worked up, we get worked up, and the next thing you know, it's this huge, insurmountable problem because Loss of appetite doesn't just remove food, it removes your quality of life, right? right? Then all of a sudden, not only are you going through cancer treatments, not only are you living through chemotherapy, not only are you living through surgeries, not only are you stuck in your bedroom going stir crazy because oh, I gotta get out, I gotta go for a walk, but then you're just so tired all the time, right? It's just one last thing. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're depressed. And what happens when you're depressed? You're not hungry, unless you're me, in which case you're really hungry. <laughs> So loss of, loss of appetite <laughs> is a situation that can be caused by a bunch of different things. But the solution to all of them is effectively the same, right? And it is just getting you re-interested and re-excited about food. And that sounds really nice on paper to say really lightly, oh, we're going to get you excited again. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yay, we're excited, right? No, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to give you guys a system of success, okay? And the idea is that we have these this, this five-step guide, basically, of what we talked about over the last 10 weeks, okay? To basically put it all together and bring it back in together into one solid system. And what I say is what we do is we think about a couple of things, okay? So the first thing we want to think about before we even get into the step-by-step -step guide is what are you craving and what are you wanting? And what is that craving telling you, right? Are you craving chicken fingers, right? Are you craving trout? Are you craving baked beans, right? Think about what those foods are and why they sound good to you. Is it protein? Is it carbohydrates? Is it fat? Is it the salt? Is it the sweetness of it, like in the case of baked beans, what is it that you're craving? Because that's your body telling you what you need and what you want and what's going to taste good to you, right? And then number two, you want to think about 
in this before we even get into these tips is you want to think about what you've been having success with. What have you been doing well with, right? This is where that tasting journal comes in because we've been keeping track. Like we talked about, you want to keep track of everything you eat. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Why did you like it? Why didn't you like it? What could you do to change it to make it taste better for you, right? And it's all that, you know, that, that, thinking about yourself and introspection and sit there and think back now you can literally go on your papers and say this is the things and it's it's a tangible guide right exactly so after we think about those things we then move into the five senses which are um which are we're going to use your five senses to entice you right because how do you get excited about something right there's really two ways Either A, you imagine yourself into a situation that gets you excited through memory and association, right? Or two, you get outside stimulus that tells you physiologically, which means through your body, through your physics, through your body, to be excited because through memory and association, we get this stimulus that tells us what to expect and what's coming. So these subtle sub, subtle uh, subconscious clues can tell us on a regular basis when to expect food and when to think. So the first thing you wanna do is we talked about in your sense of sound, right? We talked about playing music when you cook. It doesn't matter what it is. I made the joke, I said, if you, if you wanna listen to dance music before you, when you're cooking, and you're, you're chewing to 140 beats per minute, remember that? Right? No. So I talked about how I always played, you know, crooner music, like Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, et cetera, et cetera, with my mom. Well, this works for everybody. It really does. So the first thing you wanna do is play music when you cook. Pick a style of music. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be something you like. Preferably something the cancer patient likes too. You know, like, you know, your mom wasn't opposed to Frank Sinatra, but she might've been opposed to, you know, some punk rock. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Something you don't personally find offensive. Let's start there. there. So play music that you don't find offensive. It sets you in the mood. You know, we talked about how if you go to the Chinese restaurant and they play mariachi music, all of a sudden you might be kind of confused as to which restaurant you went to. Right, right. So we want to play music that makes sense for us, you know? So whether that's country music or rock and roll or, you know, Frank Sinatra, Kerner music, light vocal jazz, some ambiance, some world beat, some techno, some lounge music, some symphony. symphony, you know? If Beethoven gets you in the mood, dun dun, dun dun, you know, if that really like works for you, or hey, like some so John works. Williams, you know, if you listen to John Williams and, and that really gets you in the mood, it's it. we need to set the mood, right? Imagine yourself out on a date with your food. You are trying to be romanced by food because you need to get hungry and you need the food to feel romantic to you, okay? Right. <laughs> Which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> But I'm a chef, it. so it. it doesn't it doesn't seem weird to me because food is my romance, right? That's how I, that. Why do you love me, right? You yes. love me because I feed you, <laughs> <laughs> amongst many other reasons. There's but many other reasons. That's but a constant positive reward, right? Yes. So play music, get in the mood, right? Set the romance, set the stage for your cooking or when someone else is cooking for you because that music will come before you smell anything and it'll tell you it's time to eat. Start getting ready. Start getting ready. It tells your body it's time, it starts beginning to associate it. It's time to get hungry. Step two, cook food that smells good and appetizing to the cancer patient. If you're fighting cancer, the only person whose opinion about food matters is yours. 
Nobody else's. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or says, except for maybe your diet, uh, except for maybe your, your dietitian. You know, they matter because they know what's best for you, right? But it's up to you to decide what tastes good and what doesn't. You're going to eat more of what tastes good and less of what tastes or smells bad. Exactly. So we want to cook food that smells good and appealing to the cancer patient, right? So we want to use things that we've already documented on our tasting journal to basically come up with, you know, the roadmap, right? So if you're doing really good with onions, like if you smell sauteed onions, ooh, mama, you smell that sauteed onions, you're like, yeah, get in my belly, right? <laughs> or if you smell bacon and you get all excited, yeah, it's bacon time, bacon, right? Or you smell pizza or pepperoni or steak or chicken or bay leaves or rosemary or pork or sausage or whatever, whatever it is, no judgment, whatever you like, right? Cook it. Cook appetizing smells, strong aromatics that don't cause nausea and aren't overly pungent for your system, right? So that when that smell comes up and wafts into your nasal cavities, you've been hearing, fly me to the moon, and then you smell these delicious smells caressing your nasal cavities. And you're like, All of a sudden oh, you start yeah. getting a rumbly in your tumbly. You tumbling. start getting that rumbly in your tumbly, right? Yes. Okay, so step three is to use your sense of sight, right? And make food, cook food that looks interesting and appetizing to the cancer patient, right? I was talking about oatmeal. Oatmeal is, oh my gosh, it is the most it's boring, ugly, ugly disgusting <laughs> thing. It's gloppy, it's gloopy, it's got bubbles in it. Like, it looks like some kind of alien <laughs> sludge discharge, right? There's no part of it that you look at and go, oh yeah, that looks great. No, it looks like oatmeal, it looks like, you know, it, blah. It, blah, it looks like somebody blahed it right there, you know? Right, right. So use things. If you're in the mood for oatmeal, right? Not knocking anybody who likes oatmeal, because I like yeah, oatmeal. Yeah, people get really mad oh, when man, you they get oatmeal. So, yeah. Oh, they got oatmeal? Oh, I'm so excited. That's okay, right? Whatever you, you like. like oatmeal. You can it's, like it. It just looks ugly. It just is, you know? You know? It just looks ugly. It's like Cousin Freddy. He's just ugly, you know? But someone's going to love him. And so... We want to use things, right, like we talked about, like blueberries or banana slices or strawberries, something that's got this bright, interesting color to build that appetite, right? So we're hearing that food's coming, we're smelling that food's being cooked, and then when we come see it, that's that third part of the distance part of building appetite, right? We see this beautiful thing. Like we always talk about a caprese salad. It's red, it's green, it's white. It lights up all it's exciting. those. It's exciting. Yeah. For human beings, seeing those three colors is exciting and fresh. And it tells, it's just, it's primal. It's a primal instinct, right? The, you know, you can't detach yourself too much from your animal senses because eating is an unbelievably animalistic as aspect, you know? We're eating, we're devouring, we need to see things, we need to be stimulated. You can't just make the same brown, boring oatmeal all the time. Use interesting colors in your cooking. So if you're making something you made a thousand times before, take a new twist at it, right? Pot roast. Let's use beef stew as a perfect example because that's the leftovers in pot roast, right? So you got chunks of beef, it's kind of shredded up, it's kind of brown, it's got kind of like a brown sauce. And typically people use brown potatoes, yellow onions, and orange carrots. Maybe a little bit of celery. Well, that might be interesting, but we can make that way better. 
okay? Get rid of the brown potatoes. Use some yellow potatoes or some red potatoes because those are gonna pop. Leave the skins on them. That way you can see it. It creates a variety, okay? Make that gravy dark brown so that when those veggies come out of it, it juxt it's juxtaposed, right? It just pops, okay? Use red onions instead of yellow onions. Yellow onions are great. White onions are fantastic. Red onions, Italian onions as they're known, or red, you know, red onions, purple onions, whatever you want to call them, they pop. They're going to also pop in that gravy. Use big chunks of celery so you get this big wedge of green in there. And then take something like, instead of taking traditional carrots and slice them real thin into rondelles is what they're called when you slice them. So slice them into rondelles, take baby carrots and cut them either in half um, horizontally and make little chunks or then cut them or cut them in half and make the long sticks out of them, right? And it'll create this variety of colors and textures and experiences to keep the food interesting visually, okay? And visual stuff is really important. We always say that in, in cooking that the cost of the ingredients, it sets a base price, but the plating and the presentation and the environment and what you see is most of the cost. The difference between a $100 steak and a $20 steak is ultimately plating and environment. Could you throw peas or green beans or Absolutely. something? Because those are green or yeah. broccoli. Yeah, or you could put red peppers. Yeah. Or maybe I wouldn't do broccoli because it'd oh, yeah, it kind stinky. of the stinky vegetable kind of thing. But you could do things and add stuff. See, you're starting to get your yeah. brain moving. Add these fruits and veggies and other things, you know, like cheese or whatever, croutons, whatever you can add in there to make these fun, interesting flavors. Heck, you know, it might be weird, but why not dye the beef stock a different color, you know, <laughs> like they do on St. Patrick's Day. I'm not saying you should eat green stew, but what I'm saying <laughs> oh is that you could use different colors and, you know, you could use this as a way to I make interesting... I didn't even think about that. Food dye. Right, food dye. Like, you could dye your cauliflower. You can make purple cauliflower by dyeing it. You know, you put That's it in water. brilliant. Yeah, and you can use these to make interesting colors. And instinctually, we see this variety of colors, this variety of presentation, and we just get excited to try it because it's different. Right. Right? Okay, so step four. So, so far what we've said is play music, cook food that smells good, make food that looks good. Step four, right? Now we're getting into the touch aspect. Make food that does not agitate your mouth sores and has a texture that stimulates your mood, right? So if you're not feeling good, right? We always talk about texture. Texture tells you how to feel about food, right? Texture tells you, is this soft? Is this soupy? Is this crunchy? Is this fun? Is this exciting? Is this bland and boring? Is this comforting, right? Play into that. If you're not feeling good, if you don't feel well, use soft, soupy textures. Use soups. Use you know, I hate to say oatmeal, use grits, right? Use, use you know, orzo uh, pasta in soup, you know, some kind of soft soupy texture that makes you feel loved, you know, slow cooked stuff, stews, you know, chicken and dumplings as we always, I always go to because one of my favorite examples, you know, pasta dishes are soft and lovey and kissy, you know, like cannelloni is fantastic, manicotti is great. These are these soft, delicious things. I said manicotti and now Jesse's drooling. Spaghetti, rigatoni, <laughs> mushrooms. Right, because mm -hmm. remember comfort food is subjective, but what is comforting and feeling is not necessarily subjective because these textures and really well cooked foods are associated with sickness or not feeling well and your mom giving you a kiss on the head, right? So personal experience, right? Personal experience. So we want to use textures to 
play into your mood. If you're having fun and you're excited, your mouth sores aren't too bad, let's try some crunchy, fun things, you know, some things that give you a little bit of a difference in it, you know? And one of your classes um, a while back, uh, someone had asked, you know, I, I really want crunchy, but I can't have it because my mouth sores are so bad. And uh, someone had come up with the idea of like walnuts. Yeah, cashews. I know cashews. you can't do it with all, all nuts, but the, the right. nuts have a little bit of a crunch to right. them, but they're still soft. They won't hurt. Correct. Or like peas that aren't super well cooked. They're softer and they won't, they don't have the abrasive texture, but they've got a little snap to them. Right. You know, right. or green beans. If you like only like halfway cook them, they snap in your mouth. And so they're crunchy. And carrots, when they're like three quarters cooked, they're bright orange right before they're fully soft. They're crunchy too. So really anything. So you know, maybe a little al dente on the veggies. Yeah, a little al dente, which is Italian. <laughs> it means to the teeth or to the tooth. So the other part of the touch is we want to make sure that we make food that does not agitate your mouth sores. So the other aspect of that is if you've got mouth sores that are really bad, just like we talked about, we want to use soft textures, cool temperatures, nothing piping hot, you know, nothing that you could get a lawsuit through the McDonald's drive through for, right? Because <laughs> that's going to make it worse. So cold coffee, cold drinks, cool drinks, room service, room service, room temperature, uh, foods, right? Cold, cool, cold, room temperature, a little bit warm. And not know, overly spicy. And not overly spicy either, because that'll agitate your mouth sores as well. So, and we want to think about that, that mouth sores aspect as a yes, no decision, right? This is kind of like a, will this work? Yes or no. Yeah, because you'd hate to go through all the trouble of all these other steps and then get it to the mouth and then be... Boom, shut down. Shut it down. It shuts you know? it down right away. It doesn't matter it does. how good it smells, how much music you played. If that hurts, it hurts. And there is no getting it getting it in there. Yeah. So that brings us to the fifth step, which is, of course, the last step. And the first step we always talk about, which is balancing the five flavors, which are salty, savory, spicy, sour, and sweet. Right? And we talked about that in the palate cleansing episode, which is the previous episode. And then we talked about it, of course, in the first one, what is your sense of taste? Balancing the five flavors is something you're gonna naturally do in your cooking anyways, because what do you say? You say, I want this to taste good. As you're cooking, you taste your food. You say, does this taste good? Do you like this, right? Does this smell all right? What does it need? Oh, it needs a little pepper, or it needs a little salt, or it need, right? We, we already do that. That is like the first step in cooking, so I don't need to hammer too hard on that, right? But use those five flavors to the cancer patient's preferences, not me, the caregiver's preferences. What do they like? Look at this tasting journal. I'm gonna keep hammering on this tasting journal, right? Go back to it. What are they doing well with? Do they like salty? Do they like savory? Do they like spicy? Do they like sweet? Do they like vinegary? Do they like sour flavors? Right? What is it that's working for them, okay? So we wanna balance these five flavors because that final piece of taste is the reward, right? We have all this stuff building up. It's the romance, it's the good date. And the taste is the kiss at the end of the night. And that's what your sense of taste really is in finding the romance in your food again. It's the kiss. I'm some, I'm all of a sudden feeling very romantical. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, that's what your sense of taste really is, right? We, we, good thing we're married. Good thing we're married, right? Uh, <laughs> be a lot of problems at work. <laughs> <laughs> it would. You're fired. No, just yeah. kidding. Um, so we want to balance those five flavors to the cancer patient's preferences. And we want to make sure that that final reward at the end of the food romance date, and we're going to do this three times a day, okay? 
We want to make sure it's balanced to our to their preferences, not necessarily me as the caregiver, but you know, for my mom when she had cancer, it was all about does this taste good to you? Do you like this? And over time, you'll learn what tastes good to the person you're in charge of, or if you're in charge of yourself, right? And you're going through this yourself, and you're cooking all your meals. God bless you, you know. But you can taste it as you go, and you can start working through the salty, savory, spicy, sour, sweet yourself, and get that final taste and make sure that everything's in alignment. And so as long as that flavor's balanced, you're golden. So you've played music to get yourself in the mood. You've cooked food that smells good and appealing. You've made food that looks interesting and appetizing. You've made sure that it doesn't agitate your mouth sores because that'll shut it down right away, right? And we've made a texture that works for the mood that you're in, right? And then we've made those five flavors in balance and taste good to you. And that's, if one of these systems doesn't work, it's okay, right? You may not be able to smell very well. You may not be able to taste very well right now. You know, like your eyesight that may not be very good or you just may just in general not feel well. But if we use these steps that we outlined, right? And then of course, making food that you like, not food you don't like, right? okay? If we use these steps every meal, every time we start building a system of association, a system of knowing when to be hungry, a system and a routine and human beings need systems and routines and a pattern and a predictable way because that tells us what to feel and when and it helps us feel safe and secure and unthreatened and cancer is a time where you feel threatened all the time. And that's why we want to use this simple, predictable set of steps to every single meal, no matter if it's, you know, a breakfast, lunch, or dinner, to get us excited about food, to be expecting the food, to want the food. And then, of course, you know, one of the side effects is, of course, 10 years from now, fly me to the moon will be on. You'll be like, hey, hon, can we go get some hamburgers? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chef Ryan, I've, uh, let's close this up and I have an email for you. Okay. Okay, so it says, Dear Chef Ryan, I'm completely disinterested in food and have no appetite to eat. I know that I need to eat, but I just don't feel excited about eating anymore. What can I do to get interested in eating again? Well, I say that when you are disinterested in food, you have to treat it like a marriage that needs work, right? You need to re. where's the romance? Where'd it go, Right. Where did the romance with the food go, okay? People have a romantic feeling and attachment towards food. Food is, yes, it's an ingestion and it's fuel, but that's not necessarily a weakness. That's a part of the human experience and an essential part, so you might as well enjoy it. And it's universal to every people, every culture, and every language all around the world. And I'm sure that if there are people on Mars, they have the same thing too, right? So we want to think about how do I rebuild that relationship with food? And we do it the same way, like I talked about just a couple minutes ago with like you're taking yourself out on a date, right? We want to have the music sound right, we want the food to smell good, we want the food to look good, we want it to feel good in your mouth, we want it to work with the mood that you're in, and of course, have that satisfying finish, which is the kiss, which is of course balancing those five flavors. You love that. That's a new way that I came up with describing. I know, you just, you just came it. up with that. I love it. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to find the romance in the food again. And we're not just trying to eat for food. We're trying to experience life again because life is worth living. Life is awesome. And the longer we live, the better we can have an experience of. 
Well, that's all for this episode of the Cooking for Chemo podcast. Remember, you can get all of this information and more on our website, cookingforchemo.org, along with our Gourmand award-winning cookbook, Cooking for Chemo and After. I'm Jesse Callahan. And I'm Chef Ryan. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.